welcome to The Worthy House. I am Charles Haywood, the Maximum Leader of The Worthy House, and I am here to give you back your future. At The Worthy House, we offer reality-focused writings on a variety of topics, often on history, politics, and, in general, on human flourishing in the coming post-liberal West. Written versions of all Worthy House writings are available at our main site, theworthyhouse.com. Today we are discussing First Do No Harm by Paracelsus. America is already a low-trust society, and with good reason societal trust is rocketing further downward. However, Americans still, by and large, trust medical institutions perhaps more than any other set of entities. The pseudonymous Paracelsus, a physician, in his book with the deliberately ironic title First Do No Harm, narrates how we are foolish to trust the medical profession, what is really the medical industry. Published by Calamo Press, his book tells us, in short, that the two words that characterize American medicine are not health and healing, or even science and rationality, as one might think. Rather, they are corruption and oligarchy. Paracelsus, who has gained prominence for several recent articles turning a gimlet eye on his peers, takes his pseudonym from the famous 16th-century Swiss physician, who was instrumental in modernizing the practice of medicine. The author's own aim is less ambitious. He wants to stop, and hopefully reverse, the decline of American medicine. To that end, he analyzes major elements of medical practice today, pointing out their deficiencies and problems. This is not a book about the Wuhan plague. Some of what he says turns around COVID, but that disease is incidental to the much larger points he makes, which revolve around the extraction of money by, and the increase of power for, those who control medicine. We begin with medical education. The layman's view is that medical education is rigorous and demanding. The average person figures that they let anyone become a lawyer, but with doctors, lives are at stake, so standards surely must be kept high. That was true 25 years ago, but today medical school classes are exclusively pass-fail, and every aspect of education is designed to ensure any inadequate student fails forward. Medical schools are merely businesses, desperate to bring money in the door and slavishly attentive to the demands of ignorant and politicized accreditation bodies. No student is kept from the practice of medicine. Bad or incompetent students are simply shunted into less lucrative, but patient-facing, roles such as family practice and pediatrics. When medical students graduate, and continue education as residents, the tried-and-true grueling schedule that enabled full competency has been neutered, to allow work-life balance, and a fanatic focus on wellness, for doctors, not for patients. Although Paracelsus does not draw this connection, most of the declining standards in medical education are obvious symptoms of feminization of the profession, meant to reduce competition, increase agreeableness and consensus, and limit demands for excellence, with never a thought to the deleterious effects for patients. Things get worse when we turn to medical administrators. Between 1975 and 2010, the author tells us, the number of physicians in the United States grew by one and a half times, 
while the number of healthcare minister positions grew 32 times. What we get for that is not nothing, it is worse than nothing. We get politicization, incompetence, sclerosis, and death. And expense, because that's how everyone can dip his beak in the money pot. Paracelsus discusses many ubiquitous practices that jack up costs, from pushing unnecessary procedures to recoding simple procedures as complex. He also discusses the insane, and so complicated as to be difficult to understand, intersection of the federal government and the private healthcare system, most notably the distortions introduced as a consequence of Medicare and Medicaid. All of these increase expense and create a class of wealthy and powerful medical profiteers. How about medical professional societies? Aren't they honest brokers? No, they do not exist to help patients, but to line the pockets of everyone in the industry, and furthermore to advance a left agenda, including notably the destructive and evil tranny agenda. The surprise is that this is a surprise to anyone. Paracelsus notes that major medical professional societies have always had progressive goals and embraced governmental authority. Some of this medical society corruption, for example the legal squashing of giving more responsibility to nurse practitioners, is designed to keep doctors' pay high, but that's only a fraction of the mischief professional societies impose on America. For example, it is nearly impossible to obtain comparative information on doctor competency, because that might encourage the peasants to question doctors, and preventing that is a chief goal of the medical societies. Healthcare insurance is the most corrupt and oligarchical of all. Insurers are now too big to fail, or, like the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid, actually governmental entities, and use that to engage in ever more lucrative anti-competitive practices, in cooperation with hospitals, pharmacies, and other industry participants, often effectively creating vertically integrated monopolies. This includes essentially ignoring the Trump administration's well-intended regulations requiring pricing transparency. Paracelsus also notes how, paradoxically, the uninsured are typically charged far less than the insured, so that it is economically rational in many cases to pretend you have no insurance. Such stupidities abound throughout the system, but they are not random, rather devoted to extracting cash and increasing power for those in charge. The CDC and other such government entities, such as the National Institutes of Health, are wholly corrupt bureaucracies that are tentacles of the oligarchy. That became obvious during the COVID months. Worse, they are totally incompetent, and always have been, since their creation is landing places for bureaucrats unemployed after the end of World War II. Much of their work is directed not at helping Americans, but foreigners, and the Americans they do help are mostly drug companies, for whose new drugs they bear much of the cost of development, while the drug companies get the patents and the profits. The FDA is a captive of Big Pharma, for whom regulators seek to work at inflated salaries after they leave government service. Paracelsus correctly ridicules lightweight establishment conservatives, who claim that drug companies make profits only as a result of taking risk by spending money on high research and development costs, when in fact those are mostly offloaded to the taxpayer. Pfizer's annual profits are shooting towards $40 billion, in part, but only in part, on the back of COVID profiteering, and shows zero signs of decreasing ever. Heads they win, tails American taxpayers lose. 
The author last covers the COVID vaccines, as well as COVID treatments such as remdesivir. He thinks little of the efficacy of the latter, and he accurately points out that the vaccines aren't vaccines at all, but prophylactic therapeutic drugs of very limited efficacy and likely significant short and long term side effects, about which we are forbidden to talk. Again, the vaccines are a shining example of the intersection of corruption and oligarchy. A few well connected people get rich without taking any risk, while the average person is worse off. This book is a quick read, but even includes solutions, or at least suggestions for improvement. Burning it all down is probably the only real solution, I'd say, as with most of our society's problems. But Paracelsus, for example, suggests the development of a parallel and decentralized healthcare system. This would presumably be somewhat like concierge medicine, only for the average person, so both affordable and flexible. The problem with this is the same as with all suggestions for the creation of parallel societies on the right. In a corrupt and oligarchical system, they will not be permitted to exist if they show any signs of being successful. They will be crushed by force. Thus, no apprenticeship system will be permitted to be an alternative to existing medical education, as the author suggests. That would end the grift, and prevent the left from having a captive audience for indoctrination. However, it might be possible in a state such as Florida, with a government willing to actually act on behalf of the people, to require that accreditation of medical schools be controlled by the state, not third parties, with strict allowance of any matter not directly related to demonstrable accomplishment. So maybe we can do something, and we should at least, as the author suggests, discourage fatness. But we won't, because that might stigmatize people's bad choices. This book is an excellent overview of the problems. A complete analysis would be five times as long, no doubt. It'd cover other problems not mentioned here, such as driving out good doctors entirely from the profession with endless paperwork and liability. But first do no harm, as it is, accomplishes the admirable goal of eroding the widespread unjustified trust in medicine. Changing the system would require an enormous amount of power and will. We aren't going to find either of those things under our current political system. The intersection of corruption and oligarchical power is adamantine. What we'll get, and in many ways already have, is a two-tier system, where the rich, and even more the well-connected, can get excellent medical care, and everyone else gets mediocre or terrible medical care. It will be like the horrors of Britain's National Health Service, worsened by the far greater extraction of wealth from the system by those who manipulate the system. The only way in which this book falls down is that it mostly ignores what might be called third-rail matters. Paracelsus largely passes over the criminal travesty of the medical profession's eager participation in the grooming of children for sexual uses, most recently connected to coddling and profiting from gender dysphoria but on display in broader acceptance and furthering of child sexualization, to which no physician dares to object, on pain of losing his license. The author also does not focus on the rapidly metastasizing attacks on white people by the medical profession. This is just part of the general anti-white program of today's American elites, but it would have been beneficial to highlight the many recent instances, for example, where white people were denied life-saving COVID drugs because they were the wrong race. He does mention how Medicare and Medicaid are now paying extra money to doctors who implement an anti-racism plan-that is, a government-approved plan to deliberately harm white people. All these are yet more sins that will have to be paid for by the profession, hopefully soon. 
So read this book, and then let it inform your approach to medicine. Forewarned is forearmed.